As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you, Why mad? you mad? Hi, Jake. How's it going? Good. Uh, I'm chilling. Um, the I will just dive right into it. Here's the thing that I wanted to talk about this week. Tell me. Uh, I know we already talked about this, and I kind of came around to them and he made some good points. But Oscars happened, and I feel the need to reiterate that I think everything, everywhere, all at once was kind of overrated. And I don't think it was a bad movie. I think it was a really good yeah. movie. I just don't think it was as good as its like fandom would have you believe. Yeah. Specifically, it has the type of fandom who like lives in a reality of um if you don't like this then you're racist like sort of stuff yeah yeah which is it's like a subjective piece of art i mean it's highly aesthetic it's the whole point of it is that people are going to have yeah. different reactions and stuff you know and i think those people are kind of the term is the fans ruined the band you know <laughs> it happens a lot uh and since i'm very online i have been thinking about that a lot and i've been thinking about the movie and how uh there's just stuff about it it's it, also like I don't care about this because I don't care about the Oscars. I think they're stupid yeah. too, you know? Um, I'm going to bring up some Oscar shit too, <laughs> but go on. <laughs> well, there's a movie that got snubbed at the Oscars that I liked quite a bit. And um, I'm going to go ahead and just put this out there very transparently that the starting point for this thought for me is someone else's idea. Like this is how thinking works. Let's talk, let's talk about it transparently for once. My friend Rory Blank, who is a very talented artist, artist, t-shirt maker, graphics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I he does. He's really great him. comics. Uh, I wear his t-shirts around New York City. Thank you so much. <laughs> King of Blood, Piss Castle. He's all these various names online. He's great. Does the art for like my posters and podcasts and stuff. Uh, he was talking about that movie when it came out, and he said, uh, "This movie is about the society of the spectacle by Guy Debord." And mm -hmm. I had a copy of that book, but I hadn't read it yet. So I was like, fuck, I really like that movie. Now I got to read that book. And so I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he's right. And um, I saw another, interestingly, another comic artist, this guy, House of Decline, who's very funny and makes these webcomics. Yeah. He fucking rules. He's a really funny comic yeah. artist. He said something really interesting about the Oscars, which is he said there was a movie that dealt with the spectacle and existential questions that in like a sci-fi category, yada, yada, yada. He was listing all these things off that are true about um, everything ever, everywhere all at once. He said, there was a movie yeah. that did that really well. It didn't get any uh, fucking, um, what do you call it? Nominations. He's referring to Nope. He's saying Nope is a better example of what people are saying is good <laughs> about everything everywhere all at once. Right. <sighs> so I've been rethinking about it. I, I, I need to rewatch that movie, but uh, I've nope. just been, yeah nope uh but i've been thinking about it and i think they're both right and i think you can tell they're both right because they probably didn't talk about that independent layer uh, with each other i think it's a kind of says something that two visual artists came to the same conclusion but i don't uh, even think I, you think they're the they talk about the same thing i don't i mean I think that the only thing that they really have in common is that they are exploring the ideas of what could have been for marginalized families or identities. 
oh, I don't think that those two movies are that similar. That's just yeah, what exactly. That That's the only say. thing. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, what do you remember? What Rory was saying that Nope did better than Everything no, Everywhere All at Once. Nope is or Rory's the one who said it was like um, DeBoer, and yeah. House of Feelings is the one who said oh House of Feelings. Sorry, but the person House of Feelings was just being clever. They just were yeah. saying. There was, in fact, a movie that did yada, yada, yada and was in a genre yeah. and was all these things. It was just listing things that, that are similar. Yeah. And then as if to, to turn a phrase and go, it was called Nope, you know, and not everything ever all at once. I don't think they were making a serious, like, comparison. I don't, and that's not the point I'm trying to make either. The point I'm trying to make, though, is that Nope was a really good movie and it got snubbed. And I, I think a lot of people didn't understand it. And uh, I don't even know. This might be a case of I don't even know if fucking Jordan Peele understood it, <laughs> the guy who made it, <laughs> because it is kind of like um, Lynchian or something where it's like it, it almost falls apart, isn't that cohesive? But I think that it kind of has to do with the society, the spectacle, which if you give me a moment, I'll give you my basic understanding of. Um, so, have you ever, by the way, have you ever read that book? Yeah. Um. It's really cool. Uh, it starts out with this guy, the Situationist DeBoer, in 1967, sort of talking about um, Marxism, but saying we're in like a f- we're in a phase past that. And uh, he's talking about commodity fetishism, which is the idea that um, you know we used to live in a world where the things we like made and used and stuff were just made by us and our friends and used for use value but because of you know alienation because of the way capitalist production works now when i go buy a steak i don't have to i'm alienated from the murder of the cow and stuff and the processing of it when i buy a hammer i don't know the person who made the hammer and because of that alienation uh the what happens is the thing's use value is becomes secondary to its um, what do you call it? The other value. The, um, this is basic fucking capital shit. I'm just just escaping my brain at the moment, but it becomes secondary to uh, the like the trade value, the social value of it, right? So mm-hmm. that puts us in this absurd world where a pair of shoes is not like something that you look up and uh, buy the one that is the most useful, right? Shoes are often highly fetishized and they're status symbols. Yeah, you buy them because of the social, like trading nature of them, how they appear yeah. in relation to all of their shoes that everyone else wears. And what DeBoer is saying in Society of the Spectacle is that we've reached a point this, this far into like late capitalism or whatever, where um, that that part, the illusion, the like the 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 fucking uh, if you're, someone's screaming at their fucking computer right now, <laughs> not use value, but the other one that is so much more important than the use value that it actually like supersedes things to a degree to which we live in. Like he compares us to like people in a religion, like how like faith is like more important than reality. So like there's that story in yeah. the Bible about god you know telling some guy to like chop his son's head off or whatever and he like is about to do it and then he's rewarded because he's like good for you you're a good christian because you understand that the 
metaphor and all this stuff here, the religion, even though it's fake, is like the most important thing or whatever. So <sighs> Debora is saying we live in that, but with this thing called the spectacle. The spectacle is just this like organic mass of like images that regulate social relations between us and keep capitalism going. And it, instead of having regular old religion, now we ha we all just have worship this big blob of like images. And, you know, obviously he's talking about like, TV and cable news and news and stuff like that. And uh, that's like, that's where we're at, right? That's, that's this new, see, the one thing he talks about a lot is like people that don't even understand that they're indoctrinated into a religion you walk he would be the type of guy who'd walk around and kind of shake people and go you're worshiping the tv you don't even know it right yeah. that's your new god um and so i guess nope to me seems like it works for this because if i'm going to spoil the movie it came out a long time yeah. ago or whatever uh standard while you mad disclaimer or whatever it's about this fucking family of like farmers like cowboys uh who I guess I think that's interesting because they start off the story and they are kind of like from the before time. They're from um, outside of the spectacle, almost like the original world that Marx talked about before commodity fetishism came in via capitalism. They work the land and then they eat the shit from the fucking they grew in the land or whatever. But then they are confronted with the spectacle. He's shaking your head. Uh, I'm disagreeing with you already. But go on. Finish, know, finish, finish. So they, you know, then, but then they, Hollywood, like, finds them. They end up interacting with Hollywood because, uh, as the, you remember at the beginning of the movie, they are, like, the, the, the actors who are, like, re first recorded on, like, the first film loop ever which is the, the first horse in motion you know clip it's some black cowboy riding a horse or whatever and from there the events of the story unfold and then we sort of discover uh that simultaneously the movie is a reference to a change in epochs in hollywood uh in that it is a reference to jaws because jaws I agree with that part Blockbuster, <laughs> yes. uh -huh. blockbuster film that took us from old Hollywood to like, oh, now we live yes. in the era of blockbusters. So Mechanical, highly, highly yeah. spectacle me mm -hmm. metaphor shit. Um, and it's, you know, this these people who are like all trying to wrangle with the nature of the spectacle in various ways. Um, and it's like, you know, mostly it's a monster. It's chewing them up and eating eating them, right? You've got like the the Asian guy who's like, I'm gonna wrangle it. Like I'm gonna use it and create a spectacle out of the spectacle. Mm -hmm. No. He gets fucking sucked up into the thing and eaten, right? Uh you have the Werner Herzog guy who's like, I'm gonna film it. You know, everyone's trying to like <laughs> turn it back on itself and they yeah. all just like, getting eaten and shit. Nope is awesome. It totally deserves awards. I it was fucking it. badass. Yeah. People say yeah. they don't understand it. I'm like, good. The movie is good and yeah. Like Exactly. You want it for like a year and then go, holy shit, after you read a book and go. Well, so can I completely disagree please. with you on a theoretical basis? Please okay. blow it apart. So I'm going to go with a Latour defense. Of course, you know, he's one of my guys. This is, I'm going to be a Latour guy right now and tell you that I'm really not a, a Gabor. Uh, what is it? Debor? Debor. Debor guy. Uh, I am Latour. Latour because, versus Debor. Yeah, I'm Latour because I actually. Agree with Latour that no one believes their religions, religious myths for real, right? No human on earth believes that Jesus Christ walked on water, all right? What humans understand 
implicitly and inherently and naturally is that we need to belong to a communal group in order to survive. And therefore, we understand how to fall in line with um, identity, with like belonging to a group, with like this is the ritual that we uh, all observe and we respect it. And actually, when an atheist like Latour makes this point, when an atheist takes the attitude of like, you're all so dumb, you actually think Jesus walked on water. It's actually extremely offensive to religious people because they're not that dumb that right. they think Jesus walked on water. They're actually smarter than you because they are choosing to be part of a plentiful, supportive, fucking um, centuries long existing network <laughs> of human culture Whereas those of us who are being like, oh, it's not real. <laughs> we are putting ourselves out on the branch that's going to break in evolution. You get me? Like it's not it's not conducive to anything other than, uh, sure, I popped off. I had some knowledge. I was an individual. But it is not conducive to the communal growth, right? And so, nope, I want to tell you, one of the things that I, I think you missed or that is missed in this analysis uh is that so uh, Peel, he is heavily a Hollywood history guy, right? As we know. Totally. And Nope is actually the farmers, quote, they're not farmers, Jake. Uh, they are the, they uh, or like the dad of the main guy in, in the movie of the guy and the Kiki Palmer character. Yeah, the guy gets killed by a quarter. Yeah, that guy, he is supposed to be like the first one of the first black um, stuntmen. You get me? Right. So, you know, through the Cosby documentary, through a bunch of things, we learned that there used to not be black stuntmen. There were always like white dudes and they would put them in blackface to be the stuntmen for black actors and stuff like that. Yeah. And then something happened early in Hollywood where they like broke into Hollywood because of people like Sidney Poitier and because of uh, Bill Cosby even and some others there were these early Hollywood black owned um, stunt companies that included horse stunt people. Right. And so Nope is about a family that is like two or three generations into serving Hollywood as the black stunt horse people. Mm -hmm. And the dad dies. And so then the son is trying to continue the business of being the guy that provides the horses for all the stunt stuff in Hollywood, but he's not quite good enough. He doesn't have like star power like his dad did or like his sister does, but his sister has so much individualism and, and star power that she doesn't want to do the family thing. She wants to break off and do her own thing. Right. Right. So it is about how, the the ritual of belonging to Hollywood is important and like enacting your role and being like surf, serving in the way that they want you to serve makes you part of the whole group versus being a hyper individual, no matter how talented puts you up against the group, like Kiki Palmer's character. Um, so I just am like the, Nope is a movie that is about the fact that we create the monster then, that then eats us up. That family was always a Hollywood family. They were, like, even the dad 
was consumed by running the business of representing black people and making movies for other people to consume. Yeah, it's, you're right. I mean, I saw the movie six months ago or whatever, so I kind of forgot the details. I was just thinking, like, it's larger symbols, I guess, because yeah. they're so... Uh, I mean, there, there is stuff that's just going on with symbolism in this movie with, like, the, the alien looking kind of like Jaws and yeah. with uh, the end of the movie when, uh, you know, he effectively, like, saves the day by becoming... By not, yeah, by not making direct eye contact. <laughs> by, by not making like, direct eye contact. Which by being is, submissive, yeah. Well, it's also a metaphor about like how when you're acting, you're not supposed to look directly at the camera and stuff like that. Yeah. But but also he like it turns into a Western like he becomes yeah. a Western, which I think is really interesting because of what Jaws means, because like I don't know if I fleshed this idea out enough when I was talking about it earlier, but Jaws is like the first movie that uh like like when they put it out, they didn't realize yeah. it would do as well as it did and be this huge thing and it reshaped how movies are made because then once everyone in hollywood like saw that and went holy shit how'd you do that we got to create yeah. a formula for how to do that and then fr- from then on every summer you got these huge fucking blockbuster type of shit yeah huge budgets yeah. like it affected the way that they you know they, how, m- how much money they'll give out to someone to do that sort of stuff so because there's like an epoch shift there right um I think it's interesting that he is that that the the only thing that can come and kill it is this like hearkening back to um, this classic thing, which is like where this guy comes from, which I still, you know, I'm still chewing on that. I don't even know what he meant by that, but it kind of had me thinking just as long as I got a bunch of plates spinning uh, right now about something else I watched recently that I really liked, which was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the last Tarantino movie that came out. Yeah. So, you ever seen that? But it's kind yeah. of about the same epoch shift totally yeah it's because it's about these two guys one of them's a stuntman yeah yeah and how they're like um they're from old hollywood and they're from like yeah. westerns and stuff like that <clears throat> and they you know the the new world is Jake, being all so these people awesome. that you're talking about including the note people it is about the spectacle but that's what i'm saying that they were the ones creating and feeding the spectacle and then yeah. being consumed by the spectacle so you see how that ends up being a latour thing where it's like you invented this god and then you cowered in fear to this god i agree i just i think i would make a distinction of like uh i don't know if debor disagrees with you that much because i don't think he's saying um I, he's i don't think he's being as moralizing or like uh t- put, putting that much on active shit on the person about it because what he's sort of describing in society of the spectacle is like this thing is inescapable and we all contributed to it but like you can't not contribute to it like you can't get out of it and he does talk about like religious people and how um the, most of the people in the fucking room during the ceremony with the eating the christ cracker don't believe that it's actually the flesh of mm-hmm. christ right he's like even if you well, he, but he specifically sort of gets in on like even if you believe that or even if you understand it's not real you can't escape from the power like the systemic overarching power of how the illusion functions and makes all of us part of this, you know, thing where we contribute to production and stuff like that. And that's why a lot of people just get comfortable there and they go like, yeah, I know it's not real, but like this feels right. Like it just feels like something. It's just one of the many things you are allowed to do within the spectacle, which all all doors lead kind of to the same thing so you just kind of get to make your own reality which a lot of that shit totally. in that book 
still is it works so well in the age of social media because he talks about like you just having your own like uh, hyper normalization reality where you know you have your own curated feed of shit that tells you about the world from your point of view that you think is going to lead to some kind of revolution or something your fucking uncle has the same thing going on it's all different information and different points of views and you know he's watching fox news and doing q and on and stuff um but ultimately it's all just busy work for us to like continue to be like bees in this massive beehive or whatever um so i i I don't know i don't know i mean this is like i didn't think about this too hard (laughs) this is just an idea no 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 uh that's interesting and i i am uh particularly interested in the fact that like you started it with everything everywhere all at once and right before we started doing this i saw a thread from a person who um categorized everything everywhere all at once as a a fascist film (laughs) (laughs) yeah man and i don't get it because what they were saying was that it was fascist because it forces you into a particular subjectivity instead of actually using the characters to function as a critique of a bigger system and I just feel like this person absolutely misread and did not really see the spectacle for what it was in everything all at once because it was simultaneously individualistic in terms of dangling the carrot of all the possibilities of what a person can be and the futures that you could have had depending on the choices you make while at the same time being communal and uh, deeply ancestral in the way that it thinks of our identity and our responsibility to each other. And I just don't see how anyone can see it as like a fascist subjective. Like, do you see that? Can you tell me a way in which <laughs> everything <laughs> everywhere all at once is like fascist? <laughs> well, I, I didn't see it. I thought that person sounded crazy until you said the thing about the deeply ancestral part and i was like well i mean that's kind of fashy you know well no i don't think so i think that um it can be oppressive but i don't think it's fascist like if you um if your ancestry weighs heavily on you to the point that you can't make your own choices that make you happy then that can be oppressive but it's not fascism it's not anyone forcing you to do anything. It's you feeling a sort of guilt and responsibility towards a, a particular ancient framework or some shit like that. But you can also have like a healthy relationship like mine where I think I am my ancestors' mildest dreams <laughs> <laughs> where I am like, yeah, I have health insurance and I travel and I might live to be 80. <laughs> Holy shit, imagine that. And my ancestors are extremely happy for me for that. You know, they didn't have any of those things. <laughs> that just reminded me of something. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting point. So I'm kind of on this kick of like, I'm, I'm kind of waving the black fr- flag around and, and going nationalism is bad. And it's like, we need to just get rid of this entire idea of us as like, I agree. Yeah. People. And the reason I'm thinking, I think about that a lot is because like, I just went back over this fucking essay that I, I'm like kind of fixated on. I have the book right next to me. Hold on. Um, I picked up this book in my travels along the way at some point it's called fetishism as cultural discourse and it's a bunch of fucking Ooh. essays about like a I lot already of feel stuff. personally attacked it's pretty wild <laughs> uh, 
it talks about like commodity fetishism and it talks about how uh nationalism is a form of fetishism i mean yeah. the term in like the academic sense of like uh, yeah. making a thing a sort of uh out of ukraine flag support yeah <laughs> uh, totally um but like like fetishism in the way marx uses it where he's describing having something having a supernatural aura to it that's beyond just its own thing right but it also talks about regular old sexual fetishism which is like connected to that idea like that the yeah. people that the reason the term is the same for both of those things is because it was like kind of being compared between what marx is talking about with commodities and also what like freud was talking about with all these patients he had who had all these various weird fucking things right and so i read this chapter that was uh it's by this guy robert a nye wrote a book called about sexuality and basically what he's talking about is um it's a fucking fiend i can't there's a french term i i don't know how to say but it, it means the end we're of, not pro french here at why you mad i'm especially after what i'm about to tell you <laughs> it's about end of the end of the 19th century france and so basically in the era after the paris commune fell and france fell to the prussians and the hard right i'm already embarrassed <laughs> the conservative wing fucking once and for all was like okay we're not doing this fucking paris commune shit anymore it's conservative france oh no oh no we're, we're getting into the era right before world war one um france is in this this time of like serious depression and decline and they've lost the Alsace whatever the fuck that thing's called um <laughs> France we've lost the Alsace Lorraine um and so there's this general feeling i guess a, like a in the air like a social panic about degeneration depopulation the birth rate is falling okay. and the death falling, rate is falling. rising yeah and these early doctors that are just coming out of like the medieval era of fucking oh they're just fucking psychos they're like cutting people up yeah they didn't know what the fuck they're talking yeah. about the humors yeah. are a thing they're completely yeah, yeah. in the in the woods right yeah so they start to come up with these theories about how the birth rate falling must have to do with men Witches? losing their oh. virility and in particular, they start to go through case studies about people who they don't understand at the time, but they're like looking at like homosexuals, people that are just gay, right? But they're like, yeah. no, this is a disorder. And they think that the disorder, mm -hmm. they think this person at one point was a heterosexual and then they like masturbated too much or something like that. It's like, a huge this is why trad shit is bad. I'm telling you, this fucking has to do with everything that's happening right now. This is why yeah. I read the thing like three yeah. times because it's like I'm working on a yeah. book about it. But like, um, no, trad shit is connected to turf shit, to like trying to eradicate uh, trans people, to hating gays, to fucking hating people who uh, don't have children. It's it's, it's bad. a straight line yeah. through history. I mean, these people sound exact. Yeah. People that are like really, really anti-porn right now, like they sound yeah. very similar to these doctors in this fucking book, right? And so what they do is they sort of talk about how there are these people who like. Um, you know, oh, they're not getting married and, and having normal sex and having kids and stuff like that. Some of them will go on Jake. later to understand. <laughs> yeah. Day, right. And then now we live in a world where that's like very common and normal and yeah. whatever. Some of them are just like sexual deviants or whatever. Some are probably asexual and all sorts of things that they didn't understand at the time. Yeah. But what they do is they label these people degenerates. Right. 
And that means two different things. One of the things that it means is that they are contributing to the degeneration of society, right? Because um, that they're causing the birth rates to fall, apparently. And we need like rah, rah, rah. We need, you know, people to be having kids so that we can fight. Super sperm guys. Yeah. State or whatever, right? Stupid. This is, and this all comes from nationalism is what I'm getting at, right? Because yeah. they're like, we need France to like be France again. So we got to stop, stop jerking off. Like there. Super Nazi shit. Yeah, it is. It's exactly. Yeah. The, this is exactly the the predecessor to Nazis used to use yeah. degeneration. Also, they call people degenerates because um, they think that uh, there's a biological explanation for all these disorders. Yeah. So they think that because like, they lump in like a uh, um, mentally challenged or uh, develop developmentally challenged people with gay people with autism with. Uh, literally with being a Romani, <laughs> you know, like they're yeah. just like all of these things equal deviation from the actual uh, human genome, like where you're supposed to be correctly. Yeah, exactly. So there's kind yeah. of two things going on there. There's that's the conclusion they come to. And it's also based on biological essentialism. So they yeah. say, well, if someone is weird, that must come from like a, they almost kind of are starting to understand like genetics and passing things yeah. down or whatever. But then they come to this conclusion of, well, we need to cull the herd and make it to where it's only really, really uh, progenitive, whatever the fuck it's term yeah. is for that opposite of degenerative people. And that's how you come to like, uh, eugenesis conclusions and stuff like that, Absolutely. right? So for these yeah. people, that's like the origin of all of the trans panic and stuff that we're feeling today is an echo of what these people did and then the Nazis did and now people are doing it with stuff today, right? Well, yeah, I'm thinking about that a lot and it's got me kind of waving the black flag and going like, fuck nationalism. Like that's that's a central like puzzle piece to this stupid thing that's happening that's causing people to have this panic about supposedly our supply of people, which is like Fit. Yeah. Never been a real problem. But Never. I had this interesting conversation with this guy in a bar a while back while I was working, who um he was really interesting. He's a real weirdo. Uh he was a Latin dude. He was from uh it's been a while. I can't remember exactly what country, but he was um he was really I'm gonna guess Salvador. Oh, Salvador. I don't think he was Salvadorian. <laughs> Fuck. I don't remember. I'm gonna have to like fucking find this dude because I, I added him online, but he's not very active. Um, he was telling me he had a really, really interesting podcast about, um, Latin America and he was leftist and he was on all the same fucking historical tip as like probably us and what we're talking about. But his hot take was that he kind of has this thing where he courts a lot of right wing guys and he tells them nationalism as a Latin American is actually good. You're just doing it a little bit wrong. <laughs> like this thing where you venerate your ancestry. If you're it's if you're a French white European, it's Nazi shit, as we just discussed. If you are from a colonized place, though, it actually works to give you like a form of class consciousness because it helps you understand the recent history of where you came from, which has to which goes back to a point of you being exploited. So that's actually kind of a good thing for you to understand your ancestry, at least in terms of like trying to generate class consciousness among people. Like you don't want to go around and go, we're, there's no such thing as nations. There's no such thing as states. There's no such thing as peoples. If you're trying to like, you know, rally. Well, people. it's like being like, I don't see color. Yeah. Well, yeah. kind of. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because it has the same problems. And I guess what he was saying yeah, is because like, there are real problems associated to nationalism. But the solution is, 
I actually think it's the same thing with gender. Uh, I don't want to get canceled or, or anything, but like, I think there are a lot of problems associated with gender identity and this, the push to deconstruct gender and to find new ways to define gender is driving towards, uh, I guess, destroying all of these preconceived ideas about what a person should be based on gender. And it's the same thing I think with nationalism and with other identities that are pretty much made up. Right. All right. There's no such thing as a French person. Like it's not actually a real thing. Right. But well, so with what they were arguing about though, in the, in the, the fucking end of the century, French world, I was just talking about, I think it's like not, that simple because you listen to that story and you go okay biological determinism is bad right obviously that's what the nazis got around to um but uh if you go too far in the other direction you get into um everything about a person is like their choice territory and then you're like uh that's not true well i guess that's the way i see it i I think this is like a false dialectic is what i'm getting at like it's like more than this um because like for a long time with, you know, gay rights and stuff like that, like people were like, I was born this way. It was like a way of explaining it to people that was useful because you were counteracting this idea that people think you're just a pervert. Like you're just, exactly. you know, you're a degenerate, like what these fucking doctors yeah. are. Thinking. So you go, no, I'm not. I don't like part of this at least is. But not, if you're not- a degenerate, you're also born that way. So that's why I've never really understood the I was born this way argument. Like I think. Uh, if anything, it has never made sense to me that we don't just support the idea that a person chooses to define themselves however they choose to define themselves, and that's okay. I think it's because... like this complex interplay between the two things. Like, you choose to define yourself based on things about yourself that you've decided are yeah. you. Some of which is like innate and some of which is the categorization problem. Well, that's why, um, you know, I think the modern, um, I guess, anthropological understanding of identity includes uh, sexual orientation and sexuality as two separate things, because you can have an orientation to towards being gay, let's say, which you can think of it as like, I was born this way, right? I have gay feelings but there are plenty of gay people in the world who uh, never act on their homosexual feelings who marry a person of the opposite sex and have children and forever live in the closet and believe it because of their religion or because of whatever they choose to never act on feelings that are inherent and natural and that they were born with so your sexual orientation is one thing but how you choose to enact your sexuality is absolutely a choice right like that southern senator that was like yeah uh, on the instagram and going like you are a ray of sunshine at that stripper i was thinking about that yeah that happened and i was like you know what's funny about these guys is that they have like they live in a world that has an entirely different concept of sexuality than the rest of us because mm-hmm. they are doing what you're talking about and they're going well, I think what's funny, I think I think what's funny about that senator is that he's doing what people do in stand up comedy where they go like, fellas, we all yada, yada, yada. Right. Yeah. And- is it gay to want to suck one guy's dick <laughs> once a week or once at one time a month? 
when you have four kids and three grandchildren? Absolutely right. not. <laughs> what he's about to say is, we all think about that from time yeah. to time. <laughs> but, but, like, that's interesting because he doesn't understand yeah. that that's like, that's his sexual orientation. That's that's specific. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. Like, exactly. not his orientation is to be gay, but his choice was to be a trad. Right. But he's yeah. perceiving the world and trying to explain it as if ever like everything is a choice, though, because we yeah. all must have the same things as him. Like, not understanding yeah. the way people over here on this side of the fence look at things, which is like more essentialistic. Where we go. Oh, you were born like this and you were born like this and there's different types of people or whatever. And yeah. like, I guess I, both of these things are just, but they like, my brain goes in circles when I think about them because they're not, um, it, it doesn't t- like wrap up with a neat little bow and go, this is one correct thing. I think this is like yeah. a dialectical thing that where there's a totally. conclusion to come to from all this that is looking at it from a different angle. And like, I'm thinking about that a lot because um, I was thinking about that Dahmer show. I know we've talked about it, but uh he's a where re- i got my new glasses idea from <laughs> thank you so much yeah. i am now wearing the cool serial killer glasses everyone thank you that's anyway, right <laughs> new, cool new jeffrey Dahmer glasses yeah like Dahmer. i look like a serial killer i look like <laughs> my dad i don't know it's weird but anyway yeah, everybody <laughs> wants to fuck serial killers so it's a good fashion choice. i'm gonna get laid um but he was really interesting because he was gay and i think that because he was gay and because he was a serial killer at the same time this thing I'm talking about actually presents itself in a really interesting, contradictory way, because if, yeah. if we're talking about the fact that he was gay, people will go, well, he was born like that, so uh, he can't help it. So you have to be nice to him. But when we talk about serial killers, people tend to go the other direction and they're like, he's a monster. He yeah. made all his choices. And I kind of like am I kind of more of an essentialist in this way where I kind of look. Are Dom you equating her. being a serial killer with being gay? Well, t- <gasps> oh, my God, the- Jake, problematic. No, <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. <laughs> in, the, in that there is a question hovering above both of those things, which is how much of this is innate and how much of this is uh the person's active well but i would say to you that like the people that become serial killers and stuff it's not because it's like innate and natural in them to become serial killers i would say to you that it's actually society that makes them serial killers because society in some way tells them that they are not good enough and that they are broken and pushes them into fetishizing one particular aspect of like enjoyment or passion or sexuality and they become obsessed with that. And so to me, it is just like, um, I, I just don't think that there is anything such. And as a person that watches like a lot of horror and serial killer stuff and whatever, I actually don't think humans are born evil. I don't think that any human is innately born wanting to kill others. I think society pushes you to a point of feeling like you will never fit in. You are never going to be good enough. The only way you will ever feel satisfaction is through destroying others. And that's where they develop this other sense of um, fulfillment and satisfaction that the rest of us don't get. And then we just want to assign it as like a thing that was given to them at birth because we don't want to acknowledge the responsibility that we hold as a society for being the bullies in their grade school classes or for being the girls that, that fucking 
denigrated than them and dump them or for being the parents that abuse them. I just, I have never heard of a story of a serial killer where they were not already in a situation where they were abused and mistreated by another person. And that's why they develop these ideas of violence and hatred towards others. No fucking baby is born with the idea. I want to murder other people. I think that there are stories of serial killers who didn't have an abusive upbringing, but like, but then it's uh-huh. like Name how reliable one. those stories. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, exactly. I'm like I'm gonna look it up because I don't think so, man. Uh, I listen to a lot of serial killer podcasts. Yeah, it comes up from time to time, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means that it's not recorded. I, gotta, I can't think of one, and I um, I don't know. I feel like at the very least, in the in the like the least abusive, I guess, side of the spectrum, there's neglect. And even neglect is enough to make a human feel unwanted and not part of this world and desperate to feel connection to others and therefore vulnerable to feeling like, or or to being sucked into a way that is contrary to the way the rest of the humans think. You get me? Like, I just, I, I'm not defending serial killers, I guess, but, <laughs> but, but it's funny how often like having a, car, a conversation like this, you have to go, listen, I'm not defending serial killers. Yeah, I'm not, but I just don't think, okay. I also, okay. Essentially, I don't think that we can say being gay is something natural and inherent that you're born with. And then also say being a serial killer is something natural and inherent that you're born with. That is extremely insulting to being gay and to being different. How dare you act like being gay or being trans or being any kind of different person is a pathology in the same way as wanting to murder people. Well, that's only if you phrase it like that. No, but it is. It's not about phrasing, Jake. If you believe framing. No, it's not framing. Do you believe... Okay, so it's the same thing. So do you, do we believe that humans can just be born gay? Yes, I believe that. Absolutely. I actually think all humans are born gay, and then society makes us be heterosexual. That okay. is a wild take. What? All humans are born gay? <laughs> what do you mean? Jake, all, you know that all men... All males were are female, right? At, yeah, I understand what you at mean. At conception, some point right? in like the zygote level, sure, yeah. Right, no, at conception, all babies are girls, and then later, I think in the third, second or third trimester, second, maybe second, you drop some gonads and maybe you become boys, but you yeah, start as girls, and so I think it's not that far fetched to understand that sexuality is a huge spectrum that has nothing to do with specific body parts or or socially defined gender roles and only once we're born and then society tells you this is who you are and this is who you're supposed to be with do you find either a conflict with that or you go along with that but you're not inherently born with it and I don't think any fucking murderer is inherently born with it either. Uh, a child. What do you think with... about pedophiles? Hmm. Oh, I don't know. Fuck. 
I can't say I have an answer for that one. I don't uh, see. I don't think, understand there being a distinction between if a thing is harmful, then it must not be possible to be born that way. But if it is, no, uh, I'm saying neither one of them. No, mm, no. I I just think uh, one is an identity, and the other two are not. So being or being gay or not having a gender preference, let's say, or not seeing uh, society's gender norms as determining of your attractions, I think that is inherently natural. Whereas uh, a pathology like you see the rest of the world as your enemy or as your prey, then those are feelings that arise only from situations in which you were abused or you were oppressed or you were preyed upon. Like, uh, there, uh, as far as I know, there aren't cases of, besides like fictional ones, of children who are like, I mean, they're a psychopath, you get me? But it is not uh, like the, the lack of empathy is not necessarily evil. Right. So if you're not able to pick up on the social cues of most of the people around you, that doesn't mean that you're evil. It means you're just not as good at picking up to, on the social cues of, of everyone around you. You get me? Once we discover, oh, this person or this child actually finds enjoyment from hurting another, let's say, that's a problem. But I don't think that that's something that it's like inherently natural. I would say even a pedophile, pedophilia. Ugh, this is going to get me canceled. It's, it's, it's I'm like not a, defending pedophile. Yeah, I'm not defending it. But it is natural in the sense that one of the things that is uh, universal across all cultures is the um, incest taboo. Right. Mm -hmm. So somehow... Even before we understood genetics, even before we had the ability to like read people's genes and all this shit, all cultures understood that there was not only something bad about incest, but that it was something that some people would want to do and we need to stop it from happening. You get me? So it was not something that was like unnatural and nobody's going to think of fucking their cousins or their children or their or their nephews or whatever. Well, people throughout history loved fucking their Exactly. Cousins. So it happens. And so the fact that it's like a natural taboo across across cultures, even before we understood the, the genetic uh, negative impacts that can come from it, means that we did inherently understand what is good for us versus what, society expects from us and contradicts what we have to, what we like what our hormones want <laughs> or whatever right i don't know i don't know this is not the topic i wanted to talk about i wanted well, to talk we to were you talking about, about everywhere <laughs> all once and somehow i came ended up at pedophiles i know we can't we're not, nobody's defending pedophiles oh my god do not cancel this we're not defending and anyway, I swear to God, I actually just want to talk to you about two comedy specials. Can I do that? Please, James? please go off. So I watched um, Chris Rock had a new 
stand-up special on Netflix. Did you watch it? Oh, no, I heard it was mid. It was mid. But what was interesting about it, mid is the perfect way to describe it. But what was interesting about it is uh, two things. One, it was like Netflix's, I want to say, first ever live stand-up special. Like they live streamed it at 8 p.m. the day, whatever. So the people who signed up were watching a live thing originally. The rest of us are watching just the recorded thing now. But, you know, it was like a live event on Netflix. So it was like, I guess, a special thing. But... uh. The reason I want to talk to you about it is because Chris Rock refused to talk on any news channel or in any interview about the slap, right? We remember the slap on the at the Oscars last of year? Of course, the slapping. Yeah, exactly. So he refused to talk about it on any platform and to any host or anything. And a year later, he gives us this special. And in this special, it's probably like 70% about the slap. And Jake, it is um, not only very mid, it does have a couple of good jokes about the slap specifically, but overall it just comes off very defensive and very like he's really upset about something that happened to him and he's like, here's my experience. And he really lays out like, oh, this wasn't about that day. Here's what actually happened was like uh, Jada Pinkett Smith was sleeping with her son's friend and she like humiliated Will by like bringing him on her show and fucking questioning him about how he felt about the fact that she was sleeping with someone else. I think he deserves to be slapped for saying this. Yeah, man. So he like comes <laughs> up very much just like, you know, he had a few good lines like, uh, I don't know. There were a few good lines, but then he basically goes off into a petty um outlining of why it was okay for him to make jokes about Jada and then he's like oh and also Will is so much bigger than me he played a, he played Muhammad Ali in a movie he was I am legend he did all this shit he's so much bigger than me you know whatever that's like some bully shit right and then by the end he's like literally the way that he closes the special Jake is that he goes I was raised right, and my mom taught me you don't fight in front of white people. So that's why I didn't, like, fight back when he slapped me. You know, he's like, I am I was raised better, basically, than Will. Okay. Because I would never humiliate black people by starting a fight with another black person in front of white people. You get me? Don't abort the baby. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's why I'm bringing this up to you. Because the second special that I watched was then Marlon Wayans. Are we familiar? (laughs) One of the many Wayans brothers. Marlon (laughs) Wayans, big fan, love him. I loved his show. I love white chicks. You know, I love him. Jake, (laughs) his new special is called God Loves Me. It's on HBO. It came out a week before Chris Rock's, right? And here's the thing. The entire fucking special is about the slap. (laughs) 
What? I swear to God. The third guy wasn't. I know. He's not even involved. (laughs) And the whole fucking thing is about to slap. And it is the fucking funniest thing I've seen all year. It is hilarious. It is fun. It is funny. Marlon Wayans is like sweating balls from how much his act outs are like, you know, he's 50 years old. (laughs) He's like out there laying it on stage meanwhile chris rock special is very stiff and very angry and very petty and very like he feels like he has to defend himself while being the bigger person and whatever the fuck and here comes marlon waynes all right and marlon waynes Obviously, for anybody who doesn't know, he is part of a family that is already big in comedy by the time he's coming up, right? So he is 19 years old, and he is performing at the Laugh Factory in in Los Angeles. And he says he, this is like the 10th time that he's doing stand-up. So for anybody who knows anything about stand-up, the 10th time fucking means nothing. You're a baby, right? Yeah. So it's his 10th time and his 10th time is at the Laugh Factory because he's a weigh-ins and he has clout and family. So he gets up at the Laugh Factory and he goes, I'm like doing my shit. And then all of a sudden I just hear from like a corner and he does the Chris Rock impression. And basically he says like Chris Rock walked up and sat at the foot of the stage and proceeded to just heckle him the whole time and be like, God damn, you're not funny. <laughs> like all this shit. And then we learned that the first time that Marlon met Chris Rock was when he was like 13 or 14 years old. His own older brother chose to give the role of the rib man to Chris Rock instead of to him, Marlon Wayans. <laughs> and it ended up being Chris Rock's breakout role. Okay. So Marlon Wayans is like telling us the story and he's like, like my brother gave it to him because I was still in school and school wasn't going to end in time. So he was like, yo, don't worry about it. And he does an impression of Keenan Ivory Wayans and he does impressions of Damon and it's fucking amazing. Right. Perfect. He's like, he's an amazing fucking comedic performer. Okay. And so he's like telling us like, fuck. So I'm so mad at this Chris Rock motherfucker. Because he does the role I was supposed to get and it becomes his breakout hit and everybody's talking about it and I'm so mad. And then he's like, and then we go to the premiere of the movie and I see this beautiful woman and I'm hitting on her and I'm like 15 years old and I'm like, I fucking love you. You could be my wife. And Chris and I just hear behind me and he does a Chris Rock impression. He's like, motherfucker. You can't get this pussy. <laughs> you know, and it's like, so Chris Rock swoops in and steals his girl. Right. The girl that he was like, I thought I was going to marry this girl. So he's like, fuck, this motherfucker gets everything. I hate him. Then uh, what's the third thing? Um, then he's yeah. And then he's doing stand up for the 10th time at the Laugh Factory. And Chris walks in and makes him feel like shit. He bombs, makes fun of him. And then Chris goes up and kills Marlon quit stand-up for 20 years after that jake wow okay yeah, i was gonna so, say i didn't know he was a stand-up <laughs> right so he's written multiple movies he has hosted award shows he has fucking uh been in like all kinds of fun cult classic movies that i personally love and tell people about <laughs> but 
he has never been known as a stand-up. And it turns out it's because when he was 19 years old, Chris Rock made him feel like shit, made him look like shit. So he fucking quit. And for 20 years, he didn't do stand-up. And then 20 years later, he starts back into it and he kind of gets back in. He has only done three specials. And I say only because as somebody who has been in show business since he was 14 years old and who has such a leg up and family in comedy, he probably could have had way more, right? Yeah, sure. Could have done one every year. And instead, the first one was 2018, Jake. The second one, yes, second one was 2021. And the third one was this last one, 2023. And this last one is all about the slap. And so he's like explaining to us that he's known Chris Rock all this time. Chris Rock <laughs> is like his enemy, right? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, uh, you know, you got to think of Chris Rock as basically like my older stepbrother. Like if we had like the same mom, but different dads and like my dad came around and took me out to lunch and stuff and took me to Disney World. And he was just like always real bitter that I had a good dad and his dad was like in jail. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hilarious. And so you can see sort of like the class divide thing of like Chris Rock not having the whole family to support him and give him a leg up on shit. But then he was getting like the sign off from all the dudes that you need the sign off from. Right. But he was being like a dick to Marlon the whole time, (laughs) you know, so Marlon throughout this special, he's like, you know, and so I prayed for years. I hated this motherfucker. I was like, God damn it. Take him down. God, come on. And he's like, and then one day on March 27th, 2022, at 10.32 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 7.32 p.m. Pacific. <laughs> and he's like, Will Smith slapped the shit out of Chris Rock. <laughs> and he was like, and that is because God loves me. <laughs> so, like, that's why this special is called God Loves Me. <laughs> is because he frames the entire slap as, like, not Chris's fault, not Will's fault, has nothing to do with Jada. It's all because God loves him and he has been asking God to punish Chris since he was 14 years old. Okay. So it is the funniest, most personal fucking story. Whereas like Chris is the actual person who went through it, but him telling it is full of bitterness. It's full of like ego defense, you know, like it's just not funny. It is extremely stiff and bitter And Marlon's version is extremely personal because he's talking about all the people he knows. So he also, so the story continues in the special where he says he met Jada Pickens Smith when he was 19 years old at, in living color. Right. Mm -hmm. And he fucking immediately fell in love with her. And he's like, I had a crush on her. She's brilliant. She's deep. She's beautiful. She's amazing. And then she calls me over one day and she's like, I want to I want to take this relationship to the next level. Come over. And he's like, oh, my God, I think Jada Pinkett's going to fuck me. <laughs> so he like goes over <laughs> to her house and instead she introduces him to Will Smith. And she's like, I think this is my soulmate or whatever. And he's like, fuck, I hate this motherfucker. <laughs> and he's like, oh, cock block, like a like a fucking motherfucker. But he's like, oh, this guy was amazing. And so th- it does have this whole flattering part to the special where he talks about how like Jake, I hadn't realized that where he's like, Will Smith is the only black man who can save the world. And he's like, 
if you think about it, Bruce Willis could save the world a million times. Mel Gibson could save the world a million times. Tom Cruise can save the world a million times. But no black man was allowed to be the world's savior until Will Smith. He was like, Eddie Murphy got to save a city. (laughs) Which is so funny. He was like Beverly Hills Cop, you know. It's like, black men could save a city, but they were not seen as like saving the world. And Will Smith uh, was this. And he then like goes into this whole thing about like Will Smith, uh, like how black people saw the slap versus how white people saw the slap. Yo, hilarious, Jake. And he's like, Will Smith was a celebrity that was made by white people for white people. Black people were not into his music. They were not, like, it wasn't for black people. You get me? But they still respected the fact that he was, like, achieving a certain level of respect for black people. And he's like, so we, (laughs) we, uh, we were watching it differently when this was going down because white people were watching it like, oh my God, we love Will. Oh shit, here's Will. Oh my God, Will, what are you doing? Oh no, that's a felony, Will. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) And then he's like portraying a white person being like, oh my God, he's an N word. (laughs) So it's like (laughs) white people realizing, oh shit, Will Smith's actually black, right? And then he's like, whereas black people, when black people are watching it, we're like, yo, you know, this isn't really for us, but big up for him. He's like establishing some shit for us. Anyway, this shit is kind of boring. The Oscars are too long. Wait a minute. What's he doing? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Will Smith is an N-word. But it's like with pride. (laughs) So it's like, oh, black people watch it with like, oh, shit. I'm very surprised you're actually one of us. <laughs> like you fucking snapped, you went crazy. Um, it is a very layered and personal and hilarious special about something public that I think um, even speaks to the nope thing, right? About like how much black people have uh, participated in creating Hollywood and in being like a safe version of what is Hollywood and and the edgy version of what is not acceptable and whatever. And this slap, this like fight, turned it upside down for white audiences, made it really difficult for them to understand. Dude, Marlon has like a hilarious fucking bit where he goes, so after I watched it, like I went to the after parties, the Oscar after parties, and he's like, man, and I feel so bad for white people. White people were just like... Um, so, uh, that was something (laughs) like, they just like, don't know what to say. It's like, they're so confused. They don't know. And that's so fucking powerful that you just like confuse the shit out of every white person in that audience. It's super funny. Um, so I don't know. There's a lot more to say about it, but I, the main thing and the main reason I want to recommend it to you is because Technically, it was a more personal experience to Chris Rock, right? He's the one who actually went through it. And he did this thing where he refused for a year to talk to anyone about it. And then he was like, I'm going to talk about it in a special. And frankly, I don't think he talked about it very successfully in the special. It's not that funny. It's um, couched in between a lot of stuff that is not his best and that is kind of low-hanging fruit. Not very interesting commentary on, like, relationships or, like, other stuff. 
it's just like probably his weakest fucking special ever. And partially I want it makes me wonder like how how much does it serve you to always want to deal with something that personally happened to you if you haven't found the funny in it yet. Whereas what Marlon did is make something that wasn't his particular personal experience extremely personal to him because he talked about uh, black respectability, about Hollywood's expectations of black men. He made it really about himself and his family and how he would react. He thought about it as being the slapper and being the slapped. He found so much fucking funny in it. And I think it was because of simultaneously having distance and having a personal connection to this is real to me. Right. You know, what's interesting about that is like, um, the, I remember the night that it happened. It, I, it was the fucking slap is one of those things where like by now, obviously a year later, it's like tired and it's like this obnoxious, yeah. you know, hacky punchline to bring up or whatever. But the week of was hilarious. Awesome. It fried people's fucking brains, and like <clears throat> there was, we talked about it. There was all this ridiculous shit where people were trying to politicize it and make it about cancel culture or whatever. Um, and then there were also like <laughs> there were just a lot of comedians who were like, um, you know, see, this is how hard it is to be a comedian. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna they, share my story. Martyrs, yeah. Yeah, about the time that someone, you know, attacked me or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was laughing at a lot of them because those stories were soft compared to mine. But also I was yeah. like, mine also don't matter. Like, this is stupid. But I brought up a few of my own as a joke, like very much as a joke. Yeah. Um, And would get this thing from people where they would say, um, wow, this guy has to make everything about himself. Right. And. People say that to me on Twitter a lot of the times. This Twitter distorts things and makes you forget who yeah. you're talking to and why you are. But I, you know, I have people that. How else are you supposed that, to formulate things other than through your own lens? That's literally how the brain works, I think. But yeah. like, uh, you know, I have people tell me sometimes, like, "Well, you don't need to tweet um, about you know things the process how you feel about yeah. them stuff like that." And I was like, "This is perfectly good advice to give to a politician." I am yeah. not a politician. I'm literally an artist. Like that whole entire point of me being here is to talk about stuff like this and relate yeah. it to my own experience. And I think that what you're describing with this fucking Marlon Wayans special is like precisely because it's not 100% personal about to him. him. Yeah. Because exactly. there's distance and there's an interesting interplay between parts of it that are really close to him and parts yeah. of it that are really abstract. That's what creates the necessary area for like, interesting interplay to have commentary happen. yeah totally. right yeah. it's fucking fun to tell a story and go here's how Absolutely. the part of this is like i met that guy one time and it's fucking really personal and then abstractly when you know this other thing happens it made me think about that thing and it made me think about yeah. my feelings about that thing and stuff that's art motherfucker like that's the whole point you know so Dude, try- let me tell you fucking you know what's really funny so if you watch both specials there are a lot of um common points right where they map onto each other where they reference the same things i guess right and there is this one point where they both have what i would call like a revenge joke like a really petty enjoying the downfall of the other person joke 
right? And Rocks was not successful, and Wayans was, okay? And here's the joke. In Rocks, he says something. So the buildup is that he says, like, he loves Will Will um, Smith. He's like, always looked up to him. Uh, I fucking loved him in Men in Black. I loved him in Independence Day. I love him in all this shit. And then he's like, uh, wait, his uh, revenge joke, he goes, oh, and then he's like, uh, and now I'm at the point where I watched Emancipation this week just to see him get whipped by a slave. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And then he goes, he's like, I was on the, on the side of the massa. I was going, hell yeah. Whip him, whip him more massa, whip him more. And it's like, that's not funny. (laughs) I'm like, Oh dude. Yeah. Whereas then Wayans had one where his was that he kept rewinding the slap. (laughs) <laughs> over and over again to see Will slap Chris mm-hmm. and his like he Jake he literally has like a five minute thing where he's like talking about like Will's wind up and he's like <sighs> it was like the kind of wind up where you're like you start on the west coast you go through Vancouver you go through this <laughs> Chicago you're like fucking <laughs> and he like does like a whole geographical fucking wind up thing and so it's like it does come from the same place, you know, of like pettily enjoying watching someone who previously made you feel hurt or humiliated be hurt or humiliated. But Marlins was so, A, it was not based in racist historical murder abuse, <laughs> you know, I mean, and that's be funny though, if you do it right. It, Oh, I guess, but like I'm just saying Chris didn't. He didn't do yeah. it right. It was really cringy. And Marlins was really like, okay, you know what? The difference is power. Uh Chris's joke was based on putting Will Smith in the position of a slave and being abused by fucking centuries like a centuries-long colonialist power of abuse on the black body. Whereas Marlins was based on two powerful men in one of the biggest stages of American media fighting each other. And therefore, it's not punching down. You understand me? It's laughing at them on an on a stage that is above him because he was not even invited to the Oscars. Right. Sure, yeah. So. It becomes funny because you are technically in a position below them and you were sitting there rewinding it and laughing at the slap over and over again yeah i mean i think that is what's funny about it like yeah idea of him at home like with the tv and shit is yeah as opposed to chris at home obsessively rewinding will smith playing a slave getting getting whipped by a white master and him enjoying it and cackling it cackling at it from his private theater does that seem something relatable and cool <laughs> like, but like i don't know to play devil's advocate or whatever here yeah i'm an edgelord man sometimes if you want to really go down that fucking angle like make it, if you want to make an angle like that very deliberate something like that can be funny if you're like oh well, aware of how fucked up it is or something but, well, but what i'm saying is i don't think that it can't ever be said i think he didn't make it funny 
that's what I'm saying. It was not successful. So that's what I'm saying, though, is I think that the the factor here that's different is maybe just fucking execution. Because, like, uh, one thing about the Chris Rock special, one of the reasons I didn't watch it is it's hard to get me to watch a comedy special because I've I've seen a million hours of comedy. Um, When I heard he was doing the fucking Brian Regan live special thing, I was like, no, I don't want to watch that. Those are always worse than either seeing it live or watching a special. Like, it's you took totally parts of both of those things and brought them together that's stupid if you're gonna make a special absolutely special dude like make it a special thing if you're gonna watch a live show watch a live show it's magical you're absolutely right and here's the thing that um marlon wayne's special uh nobody was making him he was not under a contract nobody in america was being like oh my god we can't wait to hear what marlon wayne's has to say about the slap it came from his heart and his soul as like, holy shit, I have an hour's worth of shit to say about this. That's kind of what I'm getting at. I think Chris. Yeah. Rock- whereas Chris Rocks was very much like a. Yeah. Like Chris Rock was like, people are expecting me to say something about this. So how do I monetize it? So he chose to make it into a special when he did, didn't really have an hour's worth of funny things to say about it. He maybe had 15 minutes worth of funny things to say about it. Yeah, I also think the entire point of view is probably just going to come off in a way that isn't funny because it has to do with like yeah. like what you're saying about watching him describing what himself watching TV that doesn't actually ring as funny as the the Marlon Wayans the fucking TV yeah. joke because Marlon Wayans is making fun of himself in that moment. Totally, right? exactly. Chris Rock is like not and it's like no. it's, not, it's not very like charming when someone is like um that doesn't have humility about this sort of thing. Jake, and he's I- simultaneously yelling about how he's, how he's not a victim and then talking about how he's a small guy and Will Smith only came after him because he's a small guy and why didn't he try to attack 50 Cent when 50 yeah, Cent it's, talked? It's, and it's like, oh. <laughs> here's what I'm getting at, though. Like, yeah. The, the, the comedy gods, you know, the fucking high to upper crust, like, the Mount Rushmore of comedy guys have this weird shit where they're like rappers or boxers or something. Yeah. And like, like Chappelle had that shit where he called his last, spe- he called his worst special ever the closer and then wrote the yeah. worst closer of all time. And everything is I'm the goat. I'm the greatest or whatever. Yep. I think what Chris Rock is doing here, he's way lost in the sauce with that shit. And totally. they're these big, big, big egoed celebrities who kind of have probably like an entourage of people around them who are going to tell them when the thing comes out, oh, you did it. You dropped the greatest of all time. Like, this is so fucking cool, right? They're not seeing it from the audience's perspective, which is, we're just like confused. What? What Why is the clown so egotistical, you know? Totally, exactly. And that's how Marlon Wayne's point of view is. He's like, we're clowns. Like, (laughs) this is crazy that this is happening. Holy shit. And then he's like, but also I have a personal stake in this. He stole my girl when I was 19. <laughs> and it's yeah. so fucking funny. It's I really want you to watch it. Also, it, like specifically because we are the kind of people that we do have our own petty. I don't want to say petty, but like our own personal experiences with comics that we actually want to talk about. And I think the way to do it is like Marlon and not like Chris Rock. It I was is about with, that a lot. Yeah. You got to make it funny. You make it funny, really- man. And make it funny and laughing about yourself, too, and your own role in the situation. Um, and not acting like a martyr or a victim. Because, 
as much as Chris Rock uh, tried to end this on I'm not a victim and I'm not going to complain and cry about getting slapped. Yo, you did a whole special of complaining and crying about getting slapped. So yeah. I, don't, I don't understand how you don't see that. Chris Rock, why are you mad? You are mad. Why are you right? mad? <laughs> you are mad. Come on, why are you mad? And tell us about it. That was one of the first things that we ever said when we started doing the show is I yeah. am actually mad. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's exactly. Okay I'm like, <laughs> it's okay to say that, guys. You don't have to do a whole special pretending that you think it's so funny and cool that somebody pissed you off. Uh, own it. Own it. Like Mark Marin did in his last one. And like... Um, See, that's what I was just thinking of. Marlon Wayans did. Yeah. That fucking the slavery joke. I'm like, well, yeah. Baron just did a whole special. It was like the Holocaust and abortion. Yeah. It can be done. It just It can be done. Absolutely. But you didn't do it, Chris Rock. Like he didn't do it. No, he didn't do it. And Jake, if you watch both of them, Chris is just ends so sad. And like he even it ends with him like teary-eyed and like really <laughs> like like he just and it starts with him talking about like triggering people and like how he doesn't want. He's like, I'm going to try to do a whole special without in- in- offending anyone. I don't want anyone to get triggered. Ugh. And then the whole thing is about how he got triggered, basically. <laughs> and so it's just really disingenuous. It comes off as disingenuous and out of touch with himself. Whereas Marlin's. Even as like a, I guess you could say like a Nepo baby, right? And like a rich kid that had a lot of entrances into the world that Chris didn't have. Um, Marlon's special is still just like laughing at himself for not being as good a stand-up, for letting Chris push him out of doing stand-up, for still having petty feelings towards somebody that he met when he was 19. Dude, he talks about Will and he's like, you know, I met Will when I was 19 and he's like, Will Smith was made by white people. Like he got famous by white people and white people love him and black people don't really get it, but we like respected what he reached. And then later we had to be like, Oh shit. How do we, how do we like fit this into what we're doing as black people? So there, it, it is, it is incisive. It is thoughtful. It is self-deprecating and extremely funny. Like I laughed out loud multiple times watching this special today. And it just made me kind of really sad for Chris Rock because his came off as so bitter and so um, incapable of taking a distance from the thing that happened and actually finding the funny in it instead of um, using his platform to defend himself. Yeah. Yeah, so everybody check it out. Let us know what you think about it. I want to hear what you think about it, Jake. So definitely watch it. And uh, we'll talk next week about more. Do you have anything you want to plug? Um. Yeah, the 25th. Oh, God, where's my fucking, where's my stuff? I don't know. Look at my Twitter. I have a show in New York City on the 25th that's like part of a Kristen Gonzalez town hall. <laughs> <laughs> I uh Ooh, interesting. Sounds like it's gonna be insane. I sometimes with political stuff, I'm like, well, do you know who I am before you book me? But we'll see. Um I love and, it. Yeah, look at my Twitter. I have a couple things here and there. Yeah, same here. I have shows, but check out the Twitter, Luisa Diaz Nuts and all the stuff, your jokes and all the stuff. We love you. If you want to write to us and complain or comment, uh join our Patreon. 
at patreon.com slash why you mad. Uh, we love you. Bye. Bye.